Well, if you are familiar with the church calendar, this would be what most churches call Palm Sunday. And everybody always assumes you're going to talk about Palm Sunday. Well, I will, but not for very long. Because I want us to see beyond that day. So if you want to go ahead and put that first slide up there, that would be fine. When we think of Palm Sunday, a lot of us that were taught about Palm Sunday in Sunday school, this kind of picture comes into our mind. Jesus is riding in on the colt of a donkey, as was prophesied hundreds of years before. The people are going crazy. It's Passover time in Jerusalem. The city has exploded in numbers of people. They've come from all over to celebrate their Jewish Passover. And the crowds are excited. They're excited because Jesus is coming into town. And they are yelling and they are shouting. They are waving palm branches above their head, throwing some of the palm branches on the road where the donkey will ride over them. They're throwing their garments on the road. All of these things as they're celebrating. And what's probably the most amazing thing about the celebration is the things that they were shouting. Hosanna! 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 Save us! Deliver us! Help us in our time in need. That's what Hosanna means. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're shouting, Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King. Blessed is the King even of Israel. Blessed is His holy name. They're shouting all these things. This crowd is, they're having a blast. They are so excited. And I'm sure the disciples who have been with Jesus are thinking, all right, finally, finally, people get it. They understand what's going on. They're excited about it all. And as they're hollering these phrases, singing these phrases, they are phrases of wide-open, public, messianic adoration of the Messiah. The the words they're saying and the names they're using are worthy of a king. They're worthy of the Messiah. Even the palm branches were a sign of Jewish nationalism. They were used in King David's time to honor King David when he would come through a city. There's so much taking place here. So much taking place. And there's so much misunderstanding. You know, when we look at a couple of scriptures, John the Baptist, remember when John the Baptist was sitting around what I call a campfire with a few of his disciples, and he sees Jesus coming walking, and he says to his disciples, Behold, look, here comes the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now that's awfully clear to you and me, right? Behold the Lamb. The sacrificial lamb who's going to come. He has come. He's here. He's right there. And he's come to take away the sin of the world. Man, it can't get much clearer than that. At least with our hindsight. Because you go a little further in John, in chapter 12, listen to these words. And these are words spoken or written right in the part of the Bible in John chapter 12 where they're talking about what is called this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And here's what it says about the disciples and the crowd. 
At first, disciples didn't even understand. They didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had been done, they had done all these things to him. In other words, only after he was glorified, meaning only after he was arrested, after he was crucified, after he was buried and, and put in that tomb and he came back to life, only then did they begin to understand. So talk about not understanding. This is the disciples writing this themselves. They didn't understand. We have a misunderstood Messiah here. And then it goes on in those same verses and it makes some comments about the crowd. Remember this crowd of people. And you know how when you get a crowd of people together, it's like they feed off another and the excitement can just build and build and build. You've got all this going on. and Somebody probably hears somebody over there. Dallas starts hollering Hosanna and all of a sudden Mike starts hollering Hosanna and finally Bob hears it over here and he starts hollering Hosanna. And all of a sudden it just kind of goes through. You can imagine that taking place with this humongous crowd. But here's what it says about that humongous crowd. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. In these two verses, we get this picture that these disciples don't understand. We're saying the people are there shouting all these things, but it's because of the miracles and the signs that Jesus has done. Not because of who he is. They totally misunderstand. The title of my message this morning is A Misunderstood Messiah. With the subtitle, if you would, Sins Forgiven and Removed. And I, I don't know that we often think of it that way. Sins Forgiven and Removed. We're going to hit on that a few times this morning as we go forward. The people were right in what they were saying. The Messiah had truly come. The Lamb of God had truly come. The one who was going to set them free had truly come. But they didn't understand. They were thinking in the natural. They were infatuated with His power and what He had done. It had only been maybe two months since he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And where he raised Lazarus from the dead was in Bethany, just a little ways up the hill. Word had spread. Jesus had came, or he had come, to fulfill God's plan. To be the Lamb of God. A picture of that sacrificial Lamb. One who would come and set people free from the bondage of sin, by providing a way of forgiveness and removing their sins from them, as the Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. You may not think like I do, thank goodness. But, you know, whenever I hear that east from the west, you know, if you started walking east, you know when you'd finally end up west? Never. If you want to go south, you know, you can go north all the way to the North Pole, but when you get there, now you start going south. But if I head off to the east, no matter how long I walk, I'm going to keep walking east no matter where I'm at. Sins, as far as the east is from the west, forgiven and removed. And they didn't understand the plan. 
They should have, maybe, with hindsight. Because there was a ceremony that took place on the most holy religious day of the year for the Jewish people, and it took place year after year after year after year. And it's very unique amongst a lot of their ceremonies because of what takes place. And we're going to read about it and look at it. I'm not going to read all of it, but it's in Leviticus chapter 16. Old Testament. Under the law. The holy day was called the Day of Atonement. And they celebrated it every year. And God had given very specific instructions on how it was to be celebrated. What they were supposed to do as they offered sacrifices. Now, I'm not going to read all of it, but you should read this because there's a lot of blood and gore in there. You know, the high priest has to go through a lot of stuff because we, before he even gets to what we're going to talk about. He has to kill an oxen for himself and his family and take the blood, do some sprinkling of the blood here and there. Then he's got to kill a ram or two. But the unique part about this whole thing are two goats. Two goats. And these two goats, as we're going to look at, were, they wanted them to be as identical as possible. They wanted them to, to be of equal value. They wanted them to be of the same color. They wanted them to look the same. Two goats. And these two goats were called a sacrifice. But the interesting thing is, as we look at this, I'm going to try to answer the question, why are there two goats? There was all kinds of different sacrifices made under the Old Testament law. All for the shedding of blood, the covering of sin. They, they sacrificed, like I said, oxen, bulls, goats, sheep, lambs, doves. You name it, they sacrificed it. But this one's unique because whenever they did a sin sacrifice or a guilt sacrifice, they would pray and confess over the sacrifice and then they would offer the sacrifice. Makes sense. I'm offering up this lamb on my behalf. I'm confessing my sins over that lamb and then we sacrifice the lamb and the blood is shed and they go through all the ceremonial rituals that they're supposed to go through. But in this one, there's two goats, and the one that they actually confess sin over isn't the one that dies. Very unique. Why? Why two goats? We're going to see that one goat is to be sacrificed for sin. One goat's blood is going to be shed for sin. The second goat is to carry the sin away. To remove the sin. And we're going to see that Jesus fulfilled the role of both goats. The goats, maybe the heading in your Bible will say something about a scapegoat. Or you may see a word in there, they go, what is that word? I don't know how to pronounce that word. And there's arguments and dis disagreement about what that word means. But we're going to stick with scapegoat. 
What's a scapegoat? I mean, in our normal culture, in our natural culture, in our environment, if, if I do something wrong, I don't want to get in trouble, and I don't want to take the blame, I'm looking for a scapegoat. Who can I blame? Who can take the penalty for what I just did? Who can take that away from me? A scapegoat. Well, it's kind of like that here. The goat that escapes. The goat that's going to survive. And I'm not going to read all of Leviticus chapter 16. I encourage you to do that. But in verse 5, it starts there. And we're to the point. The high priest has already went through all of the purification processes that he needed to go through. He has to go through and purify himself, purify his family. And they're sprinkling blood, shedding blood, and he has to purify. And it's an interesting picture. It's like you go from the Holy of Holies and purify everything all the way out of the tent of meeting or the temple from the inside out. But here's what it says, starting in verse 5. From the Israelite community, he's to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Okay, we get the picture. Two identical goats. They try to find two identical goats and they take them from the community. They take them from the congregation. They take them from the people. And they get them to the high priest. And the high priest takes them to the the door, the gate of the tent of meeting. And he's presenting them to the Lord. In my mind, in this picture, and the Jewish historians would tell you, at this point, the goats are facing away from the people and they're facing towards the Holy of Holies, towards the Lord. They're being presented to the Lord. These two goats. And eventually it says in there that they're going to now cast lots or draw lots. One lot is going to signify that this goat is the one chosen by the Lord in the casting of lots. This one is chosen by the Lord to die. Its blood is to be shed for the forgiveness of sin, the covering of sin, to deal with the sin, the atonement and the sin from the sin. The second lot is drawn, and that one signifies which goat is to be the scapegoat. And history tells us in the Jewish history that when they draw the, the lot for the one that is to be the Lord's, the one that's going to be sacrificed, they take a red cord and put it around its neck. And the one that's become the scapegoat, they take a red cord and they tie it on one of the horns of the goat to identify which goat is which. And after he has done all of this, he takes sacrifices the goat that's the Lord's kills it, takes its blood, goes through the process in the, in the tabernacle that they go through cleansing, the sprinkling of blood, doing all these things, working with the incense. They go through this whole process. 
But what I want us to finally understand and focus on, that goat was the Lord's and it was sacrificed to him. The blood was shed. And then after that takes place, historians tell us that that is when the high priest would take the scapegoat that had been pointed away from the people, presenting it to the Lord, and now turns it to the people. And for those of us that might be familiar with Jesus before Pilate, when he was being accused, before he was going to be crucified, after Pilate had done all he could to tell the Jewish people, he hasn't done anything wrong. I can find no sin in him. And they kept yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate, Jesus is standing before Pilate. The crowd's out here cheering. And he takes Jesus and he turns him around. And he says, behold, the man. The similarity is so interesting. And then, jumping to verse 21 of Leviticus 16. The high priest after he's turned him around and he's facing the people, it says, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. All their sins. Anybody wonder how long that took? Gee. And he put them on the goat's head. And obviously, you can't, the sins aren't a physical thing. He was laying them on there in tor- kind of as an impartation, if you would. And he put them on the goat's head. And then it says, He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place. Some translations say a desolate place. And the man shall release it in the desert. And a lot of Jewish history often says they would take him to a cliff and throw the goat over a cliff to make sure the goat never, ever returned. The sins of the people are laid upon the scapegoat. The priest, to me, is a symbol of that taking place. There's only one entity that could put the sins of the people on that goat. And that would be the Lord God. So the sins of the people, a picture, a picture should resonate in the Jewish mind and hopefully in ours as we're seeing this. The blood has been shed for the forgiveness of sin. The sins have been put on the scapegoat and they're being removed as far as the east is from the west. The scapegoat, totally laden, burdened with sin, is taken out of the camp taken out of the city, taken out into the wilderness to this uninhabited land. And there's a lot of interesting things in the story I'm not going to go into, but there was somebody who, a man who had to go through some different things to get prepared. He led this goat out. And before he could ever come back into the city, he had to change his clothes, bathe, become pure. But the burdens were laid on the scapegoat. Are you familiar with Isaiah 53, verse 6, the last part of the verse?
Jesus put all of our iniquities upon him. God put all of our iniquities on him. As the scapegoat's going out, being taken out, Psalms 103, verse 12, and the verse similar in Hebrews, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Removed our transgressions from us. In my mind, I'm beginning to see a difference between my sins being forgiven and them being removed from me. They're taken away. To never be looked at again. They're gone. The goat, both goats, I believe, for us, represent the work of Christ. The ceremony that they went through year after year on the Day of Atonement it's become a reality and was fulfilled in Christ. Christ performed both tasks. He was an offering for sin. His blood was shed. And He carried away our sin. In Colossians 1.14 it says, In whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin, through the blood of Jesus. Like that sacrificed goat. Christ became the scapegoat when the Lord truly, literally laid all of our iniquity upon Him. Think about that for a moment. Picture it if you want in your mind. There was some time during that time that Jesus was hung on a cross that the iniquities of us all was laid upon Him. As I said in Isaiah 53.6, And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Can you imagine the burden of the sin of the world put on you as our scapegoat? He removed that sin. The work of Christ. And in Hebrews 10.17 it says, Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. We, We need to remember this. We'll see in just a moment. So many of us believe our sins are forgiven, but we still live in the bondage of forgiven sin. Why? Jesus died on that cross and He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He took our iniquities and He carried them away, never to look upon them again. Why do we? Why do we? Because we have an enemy that wants us to go back and look at these things. Continually be being judged in our own mind for sins that have been forgiven. If you've truly confessed, it's forgiven. And it's been removed. When the Lord looks at me, He does not see all the sin that Mike has committed in these eight years of his life. That wasn't tongues. <laughs> He doesn't see them. And when He looks at you, He doesn't see them. If you're a born-again believer, what He sees is pure, holy, and righteous through the blood of Christ. Wow. Go ahead, devil. Attack. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation here. I've been forgiven. And the sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, meaning God is never going to look at them again and bring them up 
and judge me ever again for those sins. We need to get that. I want to close with a few closing thoughts from a Jewish perspective of this whole thing. Remember, this ceremony was instituted by God for the Jewish people. And sometimes we overcomplicate things. I tried not to, but sometimes we do. But here from the Jewish perspective and the way they look at the Torah, these two, two goats represent two objectives. Objective number one, the atonement, the forgiveness of sin. The goat that is killed, sacrificed, and his blood shed. And number two, the cleansing and purification from sin. Think about that for a second. Are they the same thing? The forgiveness of sin and then cleansing and purification from sin. I am offering to you that I believe they are two different things. Obviously, closely related. My sins are forgiven. From their perspective, they look at as atonement is for the act of sin. The sin that I committed. If I was an adulterer or if I was a thief, When I confess that sin, Jesus already has died, and now that sin is forgiven. The act of sin is forgiven. And I walk around thinking, how could I be such a loser? How could I have done that? How could I have hurt my family so bad? How could I? How could I? Guilt, shame, condemnation. But my sin's forgiven. The Jewish mind said the atonement, the forgiveness was for the act The purification is for the person. One article I was reading said, even when our sins are forgiven, there can be a moral stain on our soul, our mind, our emotions. And the only way that that moral stain can be removed is when we grasp hold of the truth that yes, I'm forgiven, but it's now gone. That moral stain is things like condemnation, self-condemnation. It's like guilt and it's like shame. It's like all of these things that the enemy wants to just keep throwing at you to keep you in bondage and try to nullify the work that Christ did in our lives by forgiving us. So the simple Jewish mindset when they look at this, this, this scapegoat ceremony, the atonement is for the acts of sin, the purification is for the process. There's another picture. It's another, you may have read it in the Old Testament. Jesus even instructed a healed leper to go to the priest and do what you're supposed to do. But one of the things they did, if you had leprosy, one of the things that people hollered when they even came near to you was what? Unclean, unclean, unclean. Now I'm healed. The leprosy's gone. And according to Jewish law, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to the priest with two birds. And the one bird they sacrifice and get its blood. The other bird they release, symbolic of all of that uncleanness being taken away. And now that leper is recognized as clean. That's the picture we need to have of what Christ did for us as both of these goats. He shed His blood and died for the forgiveness of our sins. And He took the iniquities of us all that were put on Him and He removed them as far as the east is from the west. 
Never to be judged for it again. When we get this understanding of all that Christ did on that cross, we begin to render the demons and Satan himself powerless to attack us. How could you do that, Mike? I know I did. I'm forgiven. How could you cheat? I'm forgiven. Yes, I did it, but I am forgiven. How could you? You should be so ashamed of yourself. Don't ever say that to anybody, okay? You should be so ashamed of yourself. Uh, Sorry, I'm forgiven. What are you talking about? When we can get to this place and understanding and belief, we begin to walk in the abundant life that Jesus Christ died for us all to experience. And as we head into Easter, we're going to be looking at Good Friday and what Christ endured. And then we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday when Christ is raised from the dead. And all that he has said he would do has now been accomplished except for sending us the Holy Spirit. We need to grab a hold of the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. I'll stop there. (laughs) So help us, God, help us to do these things. Christ forgives and he cleanses. The disciples and the crowds may have misunderstood. We shouldn't. And we can't. We need to know what Jesus did for us. We need to know who he is. Who he has been. Eternity past. When we begin to understand that, realizing we're forgiven, the sins removed, he sees us through what Christ did in his shed blood, then these scriptures that we read, and I'm just going to share a couple as I close, apply to us. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We used to have a, a member here who's passed away, Kathy Fredericks. Many of you maybe remember Kathy. Sweet, sweet lady. Every time I'd read that scripture, she'd just grin from ear to ear. That's who I am. That's who I am. First John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and such we are. That's who we are. That's our identity. Children of God. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are His workmanship. Quit beating yourself up. Quit putting yourself down. Quit believing what people say about you. I don't care who they are. I don't really care what you've done. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are His workmanship. He has created you for a purpose. Don't ever forget that. You have a purpose and a destiny. And last one, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any wasn't his Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. We are new creations. We are not bound by our sin. The enemy has no legal right to attack us and torment us when we stand on the truth. Let's pray together. Lord, I praise you and thank you. God, that what you've done for us is beyond what we can comprehend. 
It's the plan of the Father from the foundations of the world. Knowing that we needed a way to be reconciled to you as our Heavenly Father and that that every single human being is a sinner for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty, the wages of sin was death and Jesus died in our place. He paid a price that we couldn't pay. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. He took our sins that you put on him when he was on that cross and removed them from us. That we are forgiven and we are cleansed by the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. Help us in our human weaknesses to grab a hold of those truths. Speak them over ourselves. Declare them as we combat the enemy. Father God, that we belong to Jesus. Lord, and I pray that as we head into this last week leading up to Easter, Father, people are are talking about Easter. Let us have opportunities and give us the grace to grab a hold of those opportunities to share the good news, the really good news of Easter. And I pray now that as we go our separate ways, we go being led by your Holy Spirit. Watch over us and protect us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.